It's my understanding that there were at least two things that set the children of Israel apart from their heathen neighbors. Number one was the right of circumcision. Brother Dave talked about it uh, last Sunday, about the right of circumcision, and especially from Deuteronomy chapter 30, where it speaks about the circumcision of the heart. I did call in and listen to Dave's sermon. Had a good sermon uh, last Sunday. What a, what a blessing that was. The second thing that set Israel apart from their heathen neighbors was their observance of one day a week as a holy day unto the Lord. And you know, there's many in evangelical circles today that are trying to redefine the definition of the Lord's day. And that's the burden of this message. And so brothers and sisters, I would like to ask you and me the question, are you and I being affected by the slow erosion of this biblical truth. Title of the message this morning is Remember the Sabbath Day to Keep It Holy. So the first part of the message, first point, God's institution of the Sabbath day or a day of rest. You can turn with me if you want to, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day with all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created, I'm sorry, which God created and made. I looked up this word rested from the Hebrew. And I ask you, was God just tired and wore out from his creating all the earth, the world? The Hebrew number 76, 73, I think the word, I didn't write it down. The Hebrew word, I think, is shal bath, or meaning Sabbath. And it means to repose or to desist from exertion or to cease. It seems to me... Rather than rest, it was the point that God came, he, he came to the end. He completed the work of creation, and he stopped. It's not that he was tired and wore out, but he did rest from his labors. We recognize that God's power is infinite. We are the ones that are finite. God's power is limitless. We are the ones that have limitations. There in Genesis 2, verse 3, it says... And God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. What does sanctified mean? Sanctified means he sanctified or he dedicated the Sabbath for a special purpose. And I wrote down several words that I think it means that what the people were to do. Number one, they were to stop. They were to rest. They were to reflect. They were to worship. They were to remember. And brothers and sisters, everything that we have or everything that we enjoy comes from the hand of the Father. And I, I was just blessed. I've, I should be more than I am, but I just thought this morning the songs and the devotional and all that we had in the Sunday school class, I felt like I worshipped. And that's why I come to worship, and I hope that's what you come to church for, that we can worship together, be encouraged, challenged, blessed. That's why we come apart once a week. 
Exodus 31, verse 17, speaks about this Sabbath or this day of rest. Exodus chapter 31, verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Brothers and sisters, I hope when you leave here this morning, you are refreshed because of your worship. Second point of the message, God's giving of the fourth commandment. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Here in this account, Moses was not promoting a new commandment. Moses was only reiterating a pattern of living that God had already set in place. He established that at the creation. And we call this the creation principle. One day a week that we come apart to worship. Why should the children of Israel remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? And I would suggest one thing is because of the mercy of the Lord. Israel had been under the bondage of Egypt for 430 years. And I ask you, do you think that Pharaoh allowed Israel to one day to cease from making their bricks? Do you think that Pharaoh said, okay, I know what your religion is. I'll let you off this day so you won't have to make bricks and you can go worship your God. Maybe I should read this real quick. I don't think so. Not according to scripture. Exodus 5 verses 1 to 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey the voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work Get you unto your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold the people of the land, now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. So I don't think Pharaoh allowed them any time. It was seven days a week making bricks. The burden was heavy, and they cried out to God for deliverance. And, and you know what happened. And you know, thinking about how they cried out, I'd like to think of a spiritual parallel Have you and I forgot the bondage from sin and Satan that we were under? I think we talked about that this morning in our Sunday school class. Have we forgotten our cry for mercy and God's deliverance? And what happens when when we do that? 
when we remember back and remember the bondage, we remember we worship because of God's deliverance. How serious was it an offense if an Israelite would violate the Sabbath? Exodus chapter 31, 13 to 17 tells us how serious God looked on those that violated the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 31, verses 13 to 17, the Bible tells us, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, maybe it was a little bit longer than I generally go before I give you the text. But for our text, I would invite you to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah chapter 15, I'm sorry, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. God says, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, that was the contingency that must be met. Then verse 14, the blessings, if that was met, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the inheritance of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Here in this verse 13, it underscores the fact of the free will. It's a matter of choice. All of us know that we resist being under the subordination of anyone or anything. Isn't that true? Especially in the old man, we didn't want anyone telling us what to do. But that's not the way. Here it says, if you turn away from these things, from doing your own pleasure and having your own words, then the blessings can follow in verse 14. So we have a choice to make. Will we worship God or will we worship our own free will? It's up to you. Have we turned from our own fleshly desires? And do we indeed call the Lord's day a delight? What did you think about when you got up this morning? Did you think, eh, church is kind of an inconvenience? I'll go. See, we can get home for a good dinner and we'll get on with life. I don't think that's, I hope that's not how you feel. I hope that's not how I feel. Do you, did you call this morning a delight? Were you looking forward to coming to church because of the blessing, the worship, the fellowship that you would receive here? Did you call today 
a delight. This Sabbath is a delight to you, something you look forward to. You know, I thought about it, and do we indeed call the Lord's Day a delight? I hope it's more than something verbal that just comes from our lips. I hope it's something that wells up from deep inside you. It's more than a verbal exclamation. It's something that that you practice because it's something that you really look forward to. The Bible says here in verse 13, if we commit if we meet the conditions of verse 13, God promises we will be delighted in him and his ways. And I say that is awesome. God promises great blessings to those who honor him and honor the Sabbath day. I was really impressed as I read verse 13 how much I thought of how much it says about my pleasure, the, my words are the things that I want to do. And I wrote in my notes here, it's not about me. Verse 13, if thou turn away the foot, thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and going on down, and shalt honor him not doing thine own pleasures, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, it's not about me. And if we can put self and flesh aside, like we heard from Brother Dave last Sunday, then we can move on to receive the blessings of the Lord. I'd like to share two stories with you. One's a little shorter story of some, some people who made a wrong decision in relation to the Sabbath or Sunday, the Lord's Day, and one that's a little bit longer. The first one, this happened about 30 couple years ago. Um, I was singing with eight singing men and we were given a program in the Virginia Beach area uh, some years ago and we were forewarned, it was about this time of year, and we were forewarned that we might have a pretty shy crowd that night uh, for our program. Would you like to guess why? The eight singing, what did you say? Super Bowl. Correct. <laughs> Mel's right. The eight singing men was competing against the, against the Super Bowl. And I'm assuming we didn't have near the, the, well, I guess it depended on what a person looked for. I don't know these people. I would assume the vast majority of those that stayed home that Sunday night did go to church on Sunday morning. Maybe they felt that they had fulfilled the Sabbath. They had done what was good and right, and now they were going to reserve a little time for self and for the pleasures of sin, pleasures of this world. And so I don't remember. It's been a long time ago. I don't remember how shy the crowd was, but we were warned, and I'm assuming that probably was true. That was the first story. The second story is a little bit longer, and I remember that Brother Nathan Hurst had a story. I think it came in the Companions in 1995, and I asked Brother Nathan, would you mind to forward that story to me? And I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but I'm going to read part of it anyway. This is about some people that made a good choice in relation to the Lord's Day. It's titled, Value in a Day of Rest. Monday morning in the late spring of 1860, oxen were hitched, yoked and hitched to wagons. A wagon train started on a 400-mile trip 
from St. Joseph, Missouri to Denver, Colorado. The countryside ahead was not yet settled by the white man, and who knew when one might meet with Indians? But Elder Rhodes feared God, and John Henry trusted that somehow that would help lessen any danger. All went well the first week. The travelers walked sometimes, and they rode sometimes, and the oxen pulled steadily on. At night, they parked their wagons in a circle, and they camped. Saturday night came, and John Henry's father said, Well, I hope that every week goes as good as this week did. Our animals are fresh, and yet 400 miles is a long, hard pull. Wagons can break down, and oxen can get sore feet. Well, we will have a rest tomorrow, said John. That ought to help. But in the morning, he was surprised to see some of the men hitching up their wagons. Surely they were not going to travel on Sunday, were they? He saw Elder Rhodes surrounded by a group of men, so he walked over to the group to listen. I tell you, my friends, I do not intend to travel on the Lord's Day, Elder Rhodes was saying. When God made his law, he said our animals weren't to be required to work on his day either. I cannot travel on today with good conscience. You may, you mean you expect to hold up the whole wagon train? Do you suppose one person's ideas are as good as many? We are for traveling. If it were my idea, calmly replied Elder Rhodes, I could well surrender it to the group decision. But God's word is God's word, and how can I be submissive unless I obey? I intend to stop and rest on every Lord's Day during this trip. Well, the rest of us are going on. You should too. You should remember this is Indian country. John Henry watched while the wagon train pulled out and left on Sunday morning. On Monday morning, they traveled also. The second week went about as well as the first, even though there were only three wagons traveling together. Throughout the week, John Henry thought he could see traces of the campsites of the other travelers ahead. By Saturday evening, they caught up with the larger wagon train, and they parked in the fuller circle. Now this is the beginning of the third week. On Sunday morning, the larger group left again. Elder Rhodes and his family, John Henry and his family, and those in the third wagon, they spent a refreshing day in worship. The oxen rested, contentedly chewing their cud. On Monday morning, the three wagons set off again. This week, they caught up with the wagon train on Thursday evening. On Friday morning, the rest of the group seemed to be taking a while to hitch up, so the three wagons left first. They were used to be traveling alone now, and the rest of the group did not seem so glad to see them. On Sunday, they worshiped again. That evening, the rest of the wagon train pulled in and camped with them. The boys who had questioned John after the second week said, we can't push our animals like you do. Monday morning, he could hear the drivers of the rest of the train were edgy to get started. The language they used, the cursing and the swearing made John feel sorry in his heart. He was glad he and his family were able to get a good start and didn't need to listen to the rest of the men of the train swearing at their animals. For the rest of the trip, the three wagons traveled alone. Yet not alone, for the angel of the Lord encampeth about them that fear him and delivereth them. Stopping to worship on Sunday had not caused them to fall into the hands of the Indians. 
At Denver, Colorado, they sold their oxen and equipment for the best of prices. Two weeks later, the rest of the wagon train pulled in and their oxen were thin. Their equipment was broken down and some in the wagon train was sick. The wisdom of resting one day a week had been put to the test and those who obeyed God had come through with a fairer countenance than the rest. Throughout his life, John Henry remembered that obeying God had paid his family and elder roses and another family with more than health and happiness. It reminded me of a verse from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me. And this is the verse, the, the part that I wanted. For them that honor me, I will honor. And, them that and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Whether it's on Sunday or other areas of your life, brothers and sisters, I believe that verse without a shadow of a doubt. Those that honor me, I will honor. If somebody might say, well, why are you staying in that job? You ought to go to another job. You can get more money there. But maybe the influence is bad or whatever it is. If you're willing to honor God, I believe he'll take care of you. The physical and spiritual needs that you have, I'm convinced. If you honor him, he will honor you. Third point of the message, Jesus' example and teaching on the Sabbath day. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this section, but I ask, what was Jesus' custom on the Sabbath? From Luke chapter 4, it talks about Jesus when he went to his hometown in Nazareth, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up for to read. And so it was Jesus' custom. When, Sab when Sabbath came, Jesus went. He went to the synagogue. What about you and me? How important is it? There's another two passages. One of them's from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. This was the account on the Sabbath when Jesus encountered the woman who was bent over after 18 years, a long time. I don't know if she had osteoporosis or what she had. I don't know. But if you remember, the scribes and the Pharisees berailed Jesus for healing this woman. And Jesus was upset because they would go out, they would take care of their animals, but they had no concern, no compassion for a woman who had been bound for 18 years. And there was another, another one in Matthew chapter 12 with the man with the withered hand that Jesus healed on Sunday. But we know that Jesus taught love and compassion, doing good deeds on the Sabbath day. Fourth point of the message, the transition from the Sabbath to the Lord's day. And obviously we know that that transition took place following the resurrection of Jesus. The day of worship was referred to as the first day of the week. Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 14, speaks of Jesus meeting Mary Magdalene at the first day of the week. And then after he met Mary Magdalene, I think it was on the same day, he met the two that was going on the way to Emmaus. And he revealed himself, and then he came back, and he revealed himself to the eleven disciples and you could turn to John chapter 
20 verses 19 to 22 for a beautiful count when Jesus came into the room and he said, peace be unto you. Uh, you know those accounts well. But there was a transition from the Sabbath to the Lord's day and now we worship the Lord on the first day of the week. And what a blessing it is. I, now for the balance of the message, I'd like to consider point number five, some practical challenges as we observe the Lord's day. The fourth commandment Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy affects our time. And I found this quote somewhere. The devil wants to squeeze God out of our lives by tempting us with busyness. He wants us to view our personal time as vital and our time with God as optional. But God wants us to understand that time spent with him is essential and valuable. And I'd like to share a quote about the Puritans and how they viewed the Lord's Day. The Puritans called the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. And that is a day to do business with God. Often we're, we're really geared up in, out in Monday through Saturday, and we're geared up for, for maybe some physical exchange of, of money in our business. But the Puritans called the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. That was a time to do business with God. A couple questions to consider, and I asked these in sincerity. Number one, can we reduce the Lord's day to less than a 24-hour period? And I guess my question is this. If we begin to compromise, and I, I don't want to be so hard on those people from from uh, Virginia Beach. But is it possible that they decided to compromise and think, well, or com compartmentalize, well, you know, we can worship God a certain period of the day, but then there's other parts that we can kind of reserve for ourselves. And maybe you can have a response later after the service. But what do you think? Can we, can we begin, can we reduce the Lord's day to less than a 24-hour period? Secondly, what about buying and selling on the Lord's Day? What about buying gas or going to a restaurant or a car lot? I don't know what Claude would think if he'd be driving through town and, and he'd go by, or maybe he'd be going through, through McGuckysville and he'd see Jay and Sally at Keith's Auto Sales and we're there just, in, we're just visiting and uh, shopping and looking at vehicles. I don't know what he'd say. I hope he's not thinking too good. But you know, brothers and sisters, it seems our shopping and that sort of thing has changed a lot. Maybe we would have to go to a, a physical place to do that in, in times past, but what about now? Has shopping changed? What about buying gas? 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I guess if we went, we're going somewhere in town, we'd We'd pull out our billfold and we'd try. We'd pull out. We'd pull out some money, but we don't have to do that anymore. We can go to town and we can pull up to the to the gas pump and we can get out our credit card. Is that any difference? What do you think? Do you think that's something that we should be involved in? I'm going to ask you to answer some of these questions. You can think about it in your head. What about going to a restaurant on Sunday? We've been to church. We've done our duty. 
Why not relax with family and friends and go to the restaurant on Sunday? What about shopping? What about internet? You know, you can go home this afternoon and you can shop for a couple hours on the internet. Who's going to know? You do and God does. Are we separating? Are we... Are we dedicating this day to serving God and what he has for us, the blessings and worshiping him? What about hunting and fishing on the Lord's day? There might be some people that maybe have spent thousands of dollars to go on a hunting trip and maybe they would think, well, you know, why? Well, I certainly shouldn't waste money on Sunday because I spent a lot of money on this trip. Should we? And here's another one that, that would concern me, and I don't know what your practice is, but what about party, partying late on Saturday night and we have a lack of preparation for studying your Sunday school lesson or preparing to come to church on Sunday? What about if you stay out so late playing games or volleyball, and I'm not against games and volleyball, but if we stay out doing that way late and we're so tired and wore out that maybe when it comes time to sit and hear a sermon that we're too sleepy. We don't have any interchange or sharing in the Sunday school lesson. We're tired. We've had a big week. What do you think? The children of Israel were only able to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy after they had been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And I think there's a spiritual parallel for you and I to consider. We could not truly observe a day of rest and worship until we had been delivered from the bondage of sin and Satan. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come unto me, all you that labor, and I will give you rest. Take unto, take, well, I, should, I should be able to quote it all. But sometimes I get a little nervous when I'm in front of a crowd. I'll read that to you. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's interesting. Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I hope you don't think this is uh, overdoing something, but I had these verses and I don't even know if if I had included these till I saw the Sunday school lesson, but I think they probably were already here. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we have had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Notice the beautiful transition, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And then verses 13 and 14a, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. What a blessing. 
Do we remember the bondage? How thankful. When did you last thank the Lord for salvation in Jesus Christ? Deliverance from the bondage. That's where the joy, that's where the blessing, that's where people, the children of Israel, uh, they had been delivered from, from Egypt. We have been as well. As our hearts welling up in worship, are they? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And I ask this question, see what you think. Is it possible that we could desecrate the Lord's day by what we bring into the sanctuary? What do you think? Is it possible that we could desecrate the Lord's day by what we bring into the sanctuary? I'm talking about wrong attitudes. And I thought about the two men that went into the temple to the pray. They went to the right place. They went to do the right thing. They went to pray. But the one had a bad attitude, and he looked at the other, and he said, I'm, God, I thank you that I'm not like that man. He didn't feel like he had any, any needs. But the sinner, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was the one that went away justified. Evidently, the man, the Pharisee, the righteous, the self-righteous one, didn't receive anything because he didn't have any needs. What about you and me? Do you have any needs this morning? Are we glad that we're not like somebody else in the congregation? God forbid. Do we have any needs? I really was impressed by the part, keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep it pure. And it seems to me, brothers and sisters, that's an ongoing work of sanctification of God in our heart. We can be holy, but there are times that God and the Holy Spirit reveal something into our lives, and we need to keep it holy. We need to go. We need to refresh. We need to ask for forgiveness and move on. Keep it holy. It's an ongoing process of sanctification. And then also the Sabbath rest is also depicted as a future and an eternal rest from the temptation of sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 11. I probably ought to include that one. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. Thinking of that future rest. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. That's the future rest that you and I are looking forward to. In conclusion, I ask you a few questions. What is my level of commitment to the Lord's day? What is my level of prep what is my level of commitment in preparation for the Lord's day? What's my level of commitment as we think of true worship? What about my level of commitment as it relates to involvement? Is my worship mechanical on Sunday? Or do I truly worship God from a heart that is overflowing with praise to God for His deliverance? And I close with the text. God says in His Word, If thou, take, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, 
the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. If we meet those conditions, God promises in verse 14, Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the inheritance of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. May God help us to, earn, to honor him as we observe the Lord's day. May we come together and worship. I feel like we have this morning. I feel like I've been tremendously blessed by being here. Let's remember the Sabbath day. Let's keep it holy. May God bless you. Shall we have a song?